0: Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Rob Wallace, and this is the Zero Noise Podcast, where we engage in progressive discussions about hip hop, music, life, and everything in between with our guests. Again, my name is Rob Wallace. I'm an educator, school leader, and scholar of hip hop. Through my study, I live hip hop as both the subtext and the product of American culture, a medium of liberation, and the literature of the search for freedom. I regard the hip-hop album as critical discourse about life and the interpretation of life in America by those who create it. These are the rules of engagement. We discuss albums within the context of personal impact. Art is not valuable if it does not challenge, if it does not ask, if it does not respond. We acknowledge that music decorates time as art decorates space, and it is absolutely deeper than rap. We listen through limitations of genre, we critique intent, Content and delivery of purpose. We pay homage to the artisans as well as the artists, as no album is a one person show. We underpromise, we overperform. I ask no people to come visit with me. We talk about who they are, who they have been, and what they do. I ask them to be ready to discuss an album that played a role in them becoming them. And it may not be a hip hop album like it isn't today. You will not hear the music we will discuss for many reasons during the podcast but you will never hear it the same afterwards. Therefore, this is a music podcast, but it is a people's podcast. And today, the person is Jay Bishop. What up, Jay Bishop?
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Zero Noise podcast. Full disclosure, Jay Bishop is a dirty old man. I talk about the dirty old man all the time, but Jay Bishop has a little bit of a a different wrinkle to, to who he is and what he does. So... My first question for you. Oh, before I go any further, I'd be remiss not to mention our sponsors. First of all, Leon Speakers, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Thank you for the push. Leon Speakers provides high end home audio. Check them out at leonspeakers.com. Also sponsored by Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, Michigan, a 24 7 production workspace. You can come there. You can podcast there. You can produce your music there. You can rehearse there. You can learn how to DJ there. You can take your pictures there. You can shoot a video there go to growthstudios.space and check out Grove Studios, and of course Amplify Fellowship which provides musical support for artists in exchange for service to community organizations you can visit them and donate at amplify-fellowship.com so J. Bishop yes sir who is J. Bishop
1: Jay Bishop is a amalgamation a no (laughs) jay bishop is a uh detroit born uh musician songwriter producer dj artist who's been fortunate enough to travel around the world uh and just create music that is from the the heart and the soul and and kind of reminiscent of a lifetime growing up in detroit and being influenced by all the things that made detroit what it was be it motown be it the the sounds of the electrifying mojo on the radio Mm -hmm. be it just living in in the city and and just being soaking all that in
0: absolutely so you've been away from the city for a while yes you are overseas at this point yes and as you look at it now um do you have like what are your what are your thoughts about the music that came out of Detroit during your childhood or the music that you were engaged in during your childhood
1: uh I think that it pretty much shaped musically who how i am and who i am and how i i approach music i came up during like i said the time of when electrifying mojo was on the air and during the the genesis of what is now known as detroit techno Mm. so i came up listening to a lot of of, uh, the music of the belleville three cybertron model 500 uh inner city all that type of stuff that was bubbling under the surface in detroit along with all the influences that mojo was playing because mojo would play music from craft and then mm. play rick james and then play prince and then play the b-52s all in like the span of a half hour and i would just was soaking up all all those different musical sources into uh what i do
0: so how did you so yeah i i don't remember i was in flint i'm an hour to the north and i remember mojo but i remember the wizard more Mm. okay so when it came to engaging in music um other than hearing it on the radio which obviously had a huge influence on Mm everything that was happening in Detroit at that time in terms of the growth of techno, like you spoke to how else did, did you buy a lot of music? Were you able to buy a lot of music um, in your area?
1: Yeah, I bought a, I bought a lot of music. Uh, well, number one, my brother is a musician and he, he is a bass player and he played in a lot of bands growing up. He's uh 10 years older than me. So, growing up I would his bands would practice in our basement so I'd always just be hanging around the basement just watching them practice absorbing them playing music and of course I would go out and, and buy records back when record shops was a thing shout out to Chantonique's Records on Woodward in Holland Park Uh Detroit Audio if you that old remember Detroit Audio record stores uh yeah and like you said The Wizard I remember The Wizard and the wizard was how i started getting into hip-hop and i i would i cobbled together i remember i cobbled together some old turntables and and started to teach myself how to dj i went and got the 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 realistic mixer from radio shack and started teaching myself how to dj and uh was
0: it a sound design joint it was the real it it was a realistic (laughs) joint
1: that it didn't even have a crossfader. It was okay. just like four four rows of faders for phono's, and I think it had a mic input and then it had a line input. And okay. yeah, you just had to figure. You had to. You was doing this to do your little crossfades. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, trying to figure that out. And okay. yeah, so I I kind of grew up around just. Music, like I said, because my brother had various bands he played in, so I was always absorbing music. And then I started taking the saxophone mm-hmm. in uh, fifth grade. I started playing the saxophone.
0: It always seems to start in, in elementary. Yeah, for me, it was the drums, and that curiosity gets kicked in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is it about? You know what? What is it about? You've put out a lot of music um, And I know that You went through did, did you go through A period of discovery Early on When Because when you became When you were a teenager You had the funk You had the R&B You had Hip hop was coming to prominence What did you kind of Attach yourself to Like what I, I guess What did you kind of Attach yourself to first
1: Uh well, the funk was there early. Right. So I kind of attached myself to that first because, yeah, that's the type of bands my brother played in. He played the funk bands. He played in funk, like, cover bands. So they would play, like, covers of... of uh, Well, they would do, like, some jazz fusion stuff. Mm-hmm. They would do, like, Maha Vishnu Orchestra, Return to Forever stuff, and then they would branch out and start doing, like, some of the funk stuff, like uh, Prince covers. And there was a song they used to always play. It was a a band called Dayton. And they had a song called Cutie Pie. You really fly, you caught my eye, so don't be shy. Cutie Pie. They used to play that shit forever. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, the funk was there first. And then as hip hop, like... I mean, I'm pretty old, so I remember buying the Sugar Hill Gang album at Detroit Audio. Wow.
0: <laughs> wow. You had, did you have the first, the first 12 inch that my brother bought, my brother is four years older than me. And the first 12 inch that my brother bought was Debbie Deb, When I Hear Music, It Makes Me Dance. Wow you remember that record
1: I remember that record
0: and every time I, I listen to your music I think about that record
1: because
0: <laughs> yeah. you know it, it was a it was around the time it seemed like it was around the time that you kind of been focusing on but it was a little bit more Electro
1: yeah it was New York you know, Electro because New York Electro started coming out around when Planet Rock was really the first big New York Electro record and that sound started becoming prevalent. It was a good two, three year run of, of New York Electro records with that type of sound. Uh, mm-hmm. Planet Patrol, Play at Your Own Risk, uh, the Debbie Deb joined
0: the. Uh, really, Lisa, uh, it, Lisa, Lisa, and Cole Jam around that same time, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was part of that. Uh, I wonder if you take if I take you home, or, yeah. or more so, Alice. I want you just for me. That was that was part of that that whole time frame, uh, yeah. That New York electro movement was really influential too because it played a, like a lot of the techno guys kind of got influenced by New York electro Right. because the use of the use of eight oh eights and the use of uh, like synthesizers. Right,
0: right, right, right. So, out of the crew of all of us. I kind of view you as being the historian. Like you the maester kind of like. Is that because I'm the oldest? I might be, I don't know if I'm the oldest. I don't know, are you older than Gadget? Are you older than Gadget? I think I am.
1: But I might not be older than Stax, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't think,
0: that's a a good one. (laughs) Shout out to Big Stax, stand up. Uh, No, don't stand up, he tall. But I view you as being the historian of the group because you are so tapped in to so many things that happened before our heyday of, you know, when you're a teenager, you look at music with a certain nostalgic kind of viewpoint. And you're, when you came to, you know, when you were cutting your teeth, you were a little bit You know, you were obviously older than us, so. We're going to talk about your music and how varied it is, but. I'm just interested in like, when did you first realize? I mean, I know you talked about the funk, you know, having the the funk cover band and stuff like that, you were starting to hear music differently than a lot of other people around you, because it's evident in the music that you're creating now. And I'm curious about when you look at your catalog, um, when you look at the catalog of releases that you put out and and people, my first interaction with Jay Bishop, as far as him releasing music was all that to get to this, right? But you had been making music way before the end, right? So let's talk about when you first started making your own beats, your own music.
1: What did Uh... it sound
0: like? because you had this vast knowledge of all these different periods of music what like did you pattern yourself after first
1: well uh, the first music i made for myself was i want to say in, i was in high school so around 16 years old i my brother had a Tascam 4 track and i i was learning how to make music on that four track. I I there's a line in uh all that to get to this about me saving up money from a summer job to buy a drum machine. That's the true story. Cause mm-hmm. that's I, I worked a summer job. You know those uh those globe light posts that is that was the all the rage that's in people's yards in Detroit?
0: Absolutely, they all the rage in Flint. Everybody and their mama had one in the yard.
1: I, I installed those.
0: For wow. summer. I, I,
1: have, I had I had I had a great uncle who was an electrician and I worked for him for a summer going out with a post hole digger digging the posts so he can install these lights. And I took that money and saved up and bought a drum machine with it. And wow. I making my own music.
0: Jay so, Bishop, the globe ball the yard globe installer <laughs> I got the title of this already <laughs> wow so, I didn't know that about you and I'm telling you everybody I yeah, feel they're like still every, there Everybody, still there.
1: <laughs>
0: they might need a coat of paint by this point right so yeah you were so, so yeah
1: I, I did that and uh I started making uh songs on on the on a four track and the first songs i made were rap songs me uh uh uh, rapping and making drum beats and i would i didn't have us for samples i would just cut in like live records (laughs) as the sample or until i got a casio sk1 which had like 1.5 seconds of sample time and then i would sample stuff on that and uh and I would make these tapes, and they, you know, nothing ever became. I still got them. I still like here. Let's see. I, I actually was listening to some of these uh, uh, a week or so ago because I got a, a, a tape player recently. But mm-hmm. yeah, like joints. Like remember this? This shit. This is Woo! an old tape. This is an old tape of me rapping from 1989. It says on here 1989. Yeah, so I had. To, I was like 17 then. Of me yes. uh and I had all I had those I had those uh uh I find time to supply I find time to rhyme cause I'm so sublime lyrics and shit.
0: <laughs> right. My my first lyric of all time was give me a Uzi and I'll blaze it. I won't go to hell, but I might just raise it. Wow. <laughs> that was like the most classic bar I had ever had. Shout out to double j aka dj infamous you never forget them songs i'll tell you that
1: yeah so then i, I started doing that and also at the same time like my versatility I, this all sounds like i'm bragging on myself Hey, doing
0: this no you this but, that's what this is for is for you to brag please but my versatility
1: continue. started back then because alongside with doing the rap stuff i also did like jazz like like a jazz funk stuff because i played saxophone so i got tapes of me doing songs with me playing sax on it i got old tapes of me uh singing because a lot of my influence back then was uh jam and lewis so i would Mm -hmm. try to write like jam and lewis jam and lewis and and babyface and teddy riley that's the that's the holy trinity of producers okay (laughs) of production groups rather so yeah I would write, so I got, yeah, I started doing R&B songs. I started doing funk instrumentals and I was doing rap songs all that time back then, just like on a four track. And I had like, I had a little band that, you know, we didn't really do nothing, but I had like some musicians I worked with. And I also had a friend who had a four track and we cobbled our little equipment together. He like had a drummer. She had like a Roland TR 505 and a dx100 Mm -hmm. and then i had my little casio sk1 i had an i think i had another little casio keyboard i had my i had a yamaha rx drum machine i can't remember the number maybe a 21 and we cobbled our equipment together in his basement and we had a little studio and then we i remember we would charge charge people in the hood like ten dollars an hour to come record at our little (laughs) studio and dudes right. would come, uh, and every back then everybody was trying to be a rapper in high school. So all the little high school dudes would come over and cobble up with a little bit of money, and and and, and come record their demos.
0: There you go, there you go. You had to get, you had to have an SK man. I had an SK five, you know, with a with like two seconds of sample time. Yeah, but when you cut it off, the sample was gone. <laughs> yeah. What uh, uh, a, so
1: what I would have to do is like I'd sample a phrase. And then uh, like I lay the beat out on the four track, three minutes of this beat or whatever, mm-hmm. and then I sample the phrase, like say the, the phrase went like like thighs high. <laughs> I just sampled. doom <laughs> <laughs> and then for like a whole three-minute song, I just do a track of me hitting the key. <laughs> every every day, every uh every one that came around. <laughs> two, three, four, five, dun, dun, dun. It's just minutes of that. And that's how I put together a loop.
0: It's about innovation, man. It's about technology. Using that technology. Because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be where we are now. I mean, as far as the equipment. That was the, the roots of it. Absolutely. You know? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you making music off and on. You end up Enlisting, right. right?
1: Yeah, I, I joined the uh, the Navy at uh, nineteen. Well, before 19- that, I I, I I did, I did I did do a, a a year at Eastern Michigan. Whoop! In the music program, but I dropped out and joined <laughs> the, uh, the the military. And, and I dropped. I, I I mean, I'm old enough now to reflect on it. I I shouldn't have been. I was, I was just fucking around. I was too busy chasing tail. Yeah, <laughs> it's too much. You know, when you get to high, you get out of high school and get to college, and you get all that freedom. Yeah, man. And yeah, I was, I was, I was chasing everything that moved.
0: Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> now, now, were you able to when you after you enlisted? Were you able to still kind of mess around with music when you were in the military?
1: Uh, I. I did,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, like uh, I would, we go on like I was on a ship, so we go out on cruises or whatever for six months or whatever. I take I always take my saxophone, so I stayed I stayed playing my saxophone the whole time. Mm. We were out, and some of that and some of the money I made from that that's the I I, I bought uh uh Insonic uh, workstation the Insonic sq1 mm-hmm. i bought it was i remember it was like 1400 at the
0: time wow that was a lot of money at that time
1: that was a lot of a lot of money but that, that thing you know it had a like a, a eight track sequencer and I, I still have it it's sitting over here right now
0: this was about this what was this about 88 89 no this is like
1: 91 91 91. Ninety two. you know
0: for people who played the saxophone you had to know how to play "Careless Whisper" by George. Oh, I did.
1: I played in the high. I played it in part of the high school band.
0: High school right, band. Was, I mean, all the other, all the other arrangements than "Rhapsody in Blue" and all that. Nah, you had to be able to play "Careless Whisper."
1: Yeah, we played "Careless Whisper." Uh, I was in the marching band, so every we played uh, the "Death Out of Less" groove. Okay. <laughs> Uh I was in the jazz band, so we played chameleon. You had to okay. play chameleon. Boom, 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 boom. You had to play it. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I played I was fortunate enough. I I played all the saxophones throughout high school. Every year I played a different one. Oh I started okay. on Alto and then uh because people would leave and then there'd be a hole there. Mm-hmm. And I, I I I could like when I was playing Alto. You know uh, how you have chairs in band, right? So yeah, I got up to second chair on alto, and there, there was a—I remember there's a dude named Paul Bryant. He was the first chair. I could never beat him. I could never beat him. So the next year, we only had like two tenor players, and one of the tenors players left. So I switched to tenor and got first chair tenor. <laughs> <laughs> And then the next year, the baritone player left. We only had one of those, so I said, "Well, I'll play baritone I okay. switch to baritone." And then the last year, we had got a soprano, so I started playing soprano sax.
0: Word up, word up. So you come back from the military, you get, you know, you uh, you leave the military. How did you get back involved in actually trying to sequence and make music?
1: Well, actually, while I was... In, I, I put an album out.
0: While you were while, in the military.
1: While I was in the military. I, what is this it was it called? It's called The Slept On Album. Okay. This is... 2000, I think. Okay. Maybe 2000. Because... Uh, uh, So, yeah, music... I kept doing it throughout my military career like i said i, I would buy equipment and, and and i'd have like drum machines and stuff like that i would buy and when i'm i was assigned to iceland i lived in uh iceland for two and a half years almost three years and when shout i was shot
0: shout out to the ground being geothermal having geothermal heat i guess is that right. real like is yeah that- that's
1: real it's all you're, you're basically living on a volcano
0: Oh okay. So, so, so yeah, out, the, all the heat all, all the heat
1: is by the lava underneath that's underneath oh. the ground provides heat. Okay. Like you could literally dig a hole in the ground and cook food. Wow. So I when I was living in Iceland, I I was a a DJ at the uh I lived on a, a navy a navy base and we had a club. And I became the the DJ at the uh, the base club for like, yeah, the whole time I was there, like two and a half, three years. I was I was DJing, so I was still doing music, and still involved in music that way. And then, when I left there, uh, I was in DC, and okay. when I was in DC, that's when I put a I put an album out. Okay. And you know, it was a. Uh, Interesting. It's back, that's back then when the big thing was you, you had to go to disc makers and get your, your CDs printed up. Right. And then go to stores and do consignments and all that type of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I did a I did a rap album. It was an okay. experience. Nothing became of it, but you know, it was a good experience.
0: Is Disc Maker still in business?
1: Yes, they still are. They sent, me,
0: they sent me back my first master and was like, "Uh, you got to take some off cuz I had like a uh like somebody was scratching, mm-hmm. and they took that scratch part off my record, and I was pissed.
1: Was it for copyright or something?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't sample the rest of the record though. It's oddly enough. So, um, let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. How did you connect with Dirty Old Men?
1: Gadget.
0: So were you following Gadget at the time?
1: I was following Gadget, and he would do these beat tapes. And there was one called the uh, Teddy Pendergrass beat tape. Okay. And I submitted a beat to it, and it made the beat tape.
0: So okay. And
1: I started corresponding with Gadget, and then he invited me to join Scratch Magazine Hangout. And then okay. the rest is history.
0: W- was was the hangout already happening before you came?
1: Yes, it was Hang. I don't know how long it was going on, but yeah, it, it was happening before I, I I came
0: Okay Gadget man, I you got to give credit man. I I remember watching his videos when I first got back into beat making and just seeing the process seeing KF Brown the real producers of the dmv where they just sat around and argue i thought maverick was gadget's brother or something mm. i thought they or they was the same person i don't know but yeah that was just a real organic thing man it was real organic so you putting out music did you ever get involved in cma
1: no no okay no i never got involved in cma but i, I kept tabs on it and i would show up i'd, I'd watch all the shows and okay so I, think I I participated in one show once cuz uh Tashir invited me to. But yeah, I never joined him, man,
0: formally. So what I want you to know is all that to get to this which is still sitting right there looking at me, facing out towards me was one of the first projects that I mastered when, after I got Ozone 6 and it kind of changed what i thought that i was capable of doing and i give you a lot of credit for giving me the ability to do that um all that to get to this is a classic album in my book not only for personal reasons but because you were very transparent on it especially on the last joint
1: Hmm.
0: Um, let's talk about writing that record was it they say that the records that are the most honest are the easiest ones to write do you agree with that
1: nah nah mm. I think that writing that record was a journey for me as in I, I I wanted to First off, that record didn't start out the way it ended up. The original concept for that record was going to be a production record. It was going to be a a Quincy Jones type of thing. where I was going to have people just rap over my beats, and maybe I would rap every now and then. But it was hard to get all that coordinated and people to do what you wanted them to do. So I ended up just writing. I said, well, I'm just going to write this myself. Right. And then it became more personal because i was going through some personal things at the time uh i was having some some struggles with my marriage having some struggles with my uh, finances and, and all kinds of things were going on so as it right as i started writing the record it's it just slowly became more darker and, and more personal and yeah yeah, it, yeah, that wasn't the original intention, but you know, sometimes it just things has a have a way of working out that way. So,
0: so it, it kept. So, just like we talked about at the beginning, it 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 kind of decorated that time for you, and yes, it kind of kept put a time capsule on that period of your life, and then you moved to Japan, mm-hmm. and this extra prolific type. Period starts let's kind of go through it real quick for the people. Okay, you had the absolute record mm-hmm. You had the more beats less bullshit record Was that I one? Think that, I think two? that was before I think that was before I so. Yeah, I'm and I'm not doing it okay. in order. Okay, okay. Okay, but you had the more beats less bullshit that did you have one and two or just one
1: there's two
0: two and all the way up to what what was next after that uh i think the first one was chillwell chillwell which was Chill well. it when you categorize it it was more it's kind of
1: like mean, a, a a lo-fi meets ambient jazz type of thing okay like lo-fi low kind of lo-fi drums and beats but i'm playing i'm doing keyboard solos and stuff over the top of it so it's like a kind of lo-fi jazz fusion so, uh, then then the more beats less bullshit. Then uh I was doing I, I think I put out like the Tay Lee song. That Tay Lee song was posted. was one of the original ones for all that to get to this, actually. But since the album changed, I decided not to use it. And I work with Sam Poetry on some stuff, and then the, yeah, right. Yeah. Then Amp Soul, I think, might be after that.
0: No, do you because you did you did the first more Less bullshit. Then you did amp soul. You still talk to J Pass? Shout out to J. Yeah, yeah.
1: We eventually we're going to do the next amp soul.
0: J Pass. Good people.
1: Yeah, eventually we're going to do the next the amp soul. Hopefully this year.
0: And then I you gotta... did. And then you did Watch Club. Mm, yeah, Watch Club. And then you did Oscillator Oasis. Mm-hmm. Now, what was what was what, what was the intent of Watch Club? well let me before you answer that let's back up we talked about sunset bump being more atmospheric lo-fi with keys on top of it more beats less bullshit what was the purpose of that to you that more was, beats, less bullshit i guess
1: Well, that was, yeah that was that was my response to the lo-fi bro-fi community <laughs> that you know we're lo-fi it's not it's just boom bap Right. So that was my response to like, look, this is just a pure boom bat project and I'd have like sound bites in there. Like that first especially that first one had more sound bites about like cassette culture and cuz lo-fi people was bringing talking about bringing cassettes back and and stuff about low fidelity. So yeah, it was it was a comment on lo-fi culture.
0: I st- I still have a beat of yours from that around that area called Curtains. Mm. That I've never used. And I had a song that I wrote for V Soul for that record during that time, and I never have had a chance to get it recorded. Mm. But, you know, it's still in the universe. And then Amp Soul was the collaboration with J Pass. That was more urban contemporary, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, because I had to been a fan of J Pass's music yeah for for a while i had like before i even knew that anybody like knew him i had wow. found he had made a record called no matter the weather that have i had been following and then i was talking with uh with kill and jpass and kill are cool and J Pass would be on kill's show so mm-hmm. i was like oh okay he's kind of within the circle so of people I know, so I hit him up and then we started, yeah, he started hanging out at CMA also around that time.
0: Yeah, right, 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 right.
1: So yeah, I hit him up and said, hey man, let's work on something and we, and we put it together and we just, you know, the typical way you work on the internet these days, we send the files back and forth.
0: Right. The way we work mm-hmm. normally. Then yeah. you had the Art of Dirt, which was another lo-fi beat, boom-bap yeah. type thing. Then mm-hmm. you had Sightseeing. And that's that for me, that was kind of you becoming something different. Yeah. You know, that's when I knew that you were, and it's it's ironic that, you know, the cover is a temple. Uh was that a Shinto temple?
1: Uh yeah, it's either it's either uh a Buddhist temple or a Shinto yeah.
0: temple. And I remember that that was kind of the point at which we i know i saw you becoming something different what was the purpose of watch club that was all was that like old house records Uh, uh
1: well not uh, old as far as like what i wrote them a long time ago or old no like old. classic what was watch club about it was about Kind of circling back to what we were first talking about with Electrifying Mojo, it was circling, it was me kind of paying homage to that music that I grew up on, the techno side, because I had never really done it. Like I was doing hip hop, I was doing all this other stuff, but I never really done the music that I actually constantly listened to as I grew up. So I wanted to do something toward that and yeah, that album is. Uh, I could say it's a departure point because I did. I tried things on the album I hadn't tried before. I was doing. I was singing, like I sang a little bit on all that to get to this. But yeah, yeah. But sightseeing was me actually doing like trying to get a whole song done singing. Yeah, and, and, you, uh, and- doing just that style of music, the house, the techno, and and really committing to it so yeah I, I I do love that's one of my favorite things I've done is that album how or did you that's an e p rather
0: how did you feel um when you started singing like how did you develop and build your confidence to be able to sing in a way that you could be because singing is different than rapping yes, you know with singing with rapping you know there's a little bit more leeway about what you how you sound but in singing it's a little bit different how did you develop your confidence as a singer
1: hell i'm not sure i have even to now Mm. uh i mean i got to the point where i had all these ideas i had all these songs that I had in my brain,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, I can't wait till I get to the point where I could work with somebody, I could produce somebody, I could get somebody to sing these songs, I could do this, that, and eventually, I just got sick of waiting for this inevitable muse to show up. This inevitable, like I'm, a, I'm a Timberland looking for my baby girl, and Aaliyah ain't walking through the door, so. <laughs> I'm like, I want to get these songs out. And uh, a lot of, uh, I know we share this throughout the crew. A lot of, I got a lot of influences from uh, Jazzy Jeff's famous Die Empty speech. Absolutely. So I'm like, I, I need to get these songs out. I ain't got nobody to sing them. I guess I'm going to have to just sing them myself. I know I'm not a great singer, but. I know what a note is. I know when a note is is on or off or close to on or whatever. I can mm-hmm. sing it enough to get the idea across there and hope go. that the song is good enough. And then, I, honestly, I don't listen to a lot of music of mm-hmm. the current time. But I, when I do, I listen to some of these dudes as I hear singing. And I'm like, if this nigga can get over, <laughs> 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 what am I worried about? If this I tell you the song that did it. Well, I don't know who the artist is, but that song oh. is that Lifetime song. <laughs> Whatever that song that is, be, when that nigga that doing that, that young shit. Thug. Oh my uh, God.
0: Gang. Yes. When yes. I heard that and I that said,
1: is. this is acceptable, oh, what the fuck am I worried about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So then you did Oscillator Oasis where now you had done sightseeing and then you followed it up with Oscillator Oasis. Right. Which was even further in that direction. Right. Because then you because then you had proven that you could do it. Yes. Sightseeing
1: was the was the the the, the uh the test the test present. Yeah, it was just, just seeing, I'm gonna throw this out. Can I actually complete something of that that sound or whatever and then oscillator oasis was okay well now i can go full throttle on it and see what i could do when i I, you know put my foot in it
0: now mind you all this is being released on late pass and late you know as a label watch club was a an act j bishop was an act amp soul was an act so then after that you came back with feature presentation Mm-hmm. And feature presentation was more. I, I want to say standard J Bishop
1: Yeah, it's just I had a bunch of beats, just kind of collecting dust on the hard drive. Right. It's like, well, I I want to get these out. I, I found the ones I found that was the most cohesive, and I said, "Well, I, I want to put this out." And, and I did. It didn't really fit. Like this whole idea of different art, me being different artists, I got from Mad Lib. For how mad Lib would have a, for every type of music he did he had a different pseudonym for it absolutely so uh yeah the feature presentation stuff it didn't fit anything else it didn't fit chill well it didn't fit more beats less bullshit so i said well i just put this under my name
0: mm-hmm. then you did another beat tape you did another beat tape and then you did another watch club project and well then... yeah I did,
1: yeah I, yeah i did a single yeah that's the single.
0: right right then Conversations Online. Mm-hmm. What set that album apart for you?
1: Uh, Well, Conversations Online, was that's a single. That's from Steppers.
0: That's from Steppers, my fault. Yeah. So Steppers, Steppers was... But Steppers was another... Steppers had a different feel than everything else that you had put out to me.
1: Right. Steppers so, was... uh, I... Have been listening to. There's a burgeoning uh movement called Modern Funk that uh was kind of godfathered by Dame Funk, and then you got a lot of artists, uh, uh West Coast artists like XL Middleton, mm-hmm. and you got a lot of overseas artists, uh uh, uh people from France, people from Italy who kind of uh, latched on to that old school 80s boogie funk sound and are reinterpreting it with today's technology and keeping that sound alive and I always had been listening to that and and following those dudes and my early like I said my earliest influences were Jamie Lewis, L.A. and Babyface, Teddy Riley and I always wanted to write songs like them and this was my opportunity to go in that direction and write the type of songs that I used to write when I was uh, in my early years when when I was writing R&B songs in my teenage and early 20s these were the types of, of songs I would write and I wanted to I was like, well, this is this is a, a, a opportunity for for me to express that side of myself. I mean, I I, I got all the other stuff out. Like, I had all these sides of myself I wanted to get out, and this was a uh, this is what uh, one of the oldest ones I had mm-hmm. that I wanted to is finally express. And I I never could do it because I was worried about my singing. I was worried about I'm going to need a singer to do this, but sightseeing and and oscillator oasis gave me the confidence to be like you know what i can actually do that r&b album i always wanted to do Mm -hmm. i can actually do that funk project i always wanted to do but i never did because i didn't i was afraid to sing the songs
0: and and now in in the midst of all this i mean while you're putting out project after project after project your chops is getting better you you're learning how to play bass you're becoming a better engineer you're becoming a better producer to the point where you're like yeah i can do what i've always wanted to do like for me my my dream is to make a public enemy album mm. you know like a public a bomb squad public enemy first yo-yo album type album mm. you know um which is hard to do because of all the samples and Camp all that sources, stuff. but yeah. you know still it's it's an attractive it's, it's an attractive option for me so steppers um was a was a was a hell of an accomplishment because of the fact that you were able to capture a period of time very very clearly in listening to that album now you referred to it as boogie Mm-hmm. You referred to it. it's also known as electro funk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's also known as post disco. Mm-hmm. And how do you transition from that? Because, in my opinion, that was the best project that you have done so far. And now you're you transitioned away from that on Cognac and Ballroom to a degree. It's, it's almost like a natural progression from what I can hear from just as steppers captured that 81, 82, 83, Evelyn Champagne, King, BT Express, Kashif, as we'll talk about tonight stuff. Cognac and Ballroom is a little bit past that. Am I correct in that?
1: Yeah, it's it's further yeah, it's going further into like the late 80s, early nineties. Yes type of vibe, whereas Steppers was kind of look like earlier, early half of the eighties. Then this is more of like, the way I, I I picture it in my head is they're, they're two sides of the same coin.
0: Yeah, okay. Is that
1: as in Steppers was my backyard barbecue album. We having a cookout, you gonna put this on, the uncle's gonna dance and two-step, everybody's gonna have a good time. And then Cognac and Ballroom is, is the nighttime album. Where you and your lady getting G'd up And you go into the cabaret
0: Right So Cognac and Ballroom Is going to be released on March 5th Is that correct? Yes March 5th, 2021 to Talk about You know, what's the first single on the project Um. You know, why should You know, other than what we obviously Have talked about in terms of If framing that time period Why should people check it out?
1: Uh, this album is, I think this album is a a growth in my songwriting in that I really wanted to embrace writing complete songs that went places that started here and kind of moved and, and went places. Like I think there's a lot more bridges. On this album, than maybe it was on Steppers, and I wanted to embrace the vibe of, like I said, that nighttime. We're going, we're going to to dance. Like I, I know about the Detroit culture of cabarets, mm. where people would rent out a hall, like a union hall, especially in Detroit. It was always a banquet hall or a union hall, and and you uh, uh, get you a DJ, you get maybe a band, maybe a comedian, MC, or whatever, and you you have somebody selling plates, and you sell the, the setups, because you didn't want to have to deal with liquor laws, so you sell, like, mixers and ice and Coke and all that, and people would uh, BYOB and bring their own liquor, and you have tables and you have a dance floor, and people would come just have a good evening. And, like... That still happens like today. That's still a thing. And people will go out and they would do what's called ball. In Detroit, you know, Chicago is called stepping or whatever. It's, it's all pretty much the same thing. It's ballroom where you couples will, you know, do a little thing and twirl and dance and all that. And then everybody will come out and do all the hustles and the line dances. I remember like a Detroit classic is Stevie Wonders, My Eyes Don't Cry. Yes. You put that... That Susan hordes come on, the dance floor fill up, and they start doing that hustle. There's a specific hustle, but that specific song. Yes. So I wanted to embrace that culture. That's a kind of a theme with all my stuff. All my all my things are embracing a certain culture or vibe or idea. A
0: time. A time. A time it's built around time. Now you've gotten some really great responses to your projects overseas. You're overseas, but I'm saying, especially in Europe, can you talk about like how you establish those relationships and, you know, talk about how those those relationships have panned out?
1: Well, I, I I reached when I first started the concept of doing steppers. I had a song called "That Feeling." That was mm. actually the first song for that project.
0: Can't get enough right of your body.
1: And I did that song and I finished it. And I actually said uh, it's very rare I do this, but I said to myself, this is a great fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, I was I impressed myself. I was like, God damn, this sounds good. My voice sounds good. This shit sounds good. I don't want to just put this shit out to die on the vine. I want to see if I can get move the needle. On this, So, like I said, I have been following all these modern funk artists and labels, and I reached out to a label called Sleepers Records. And it's run by a guy based out of Italy named Ivan Machvo. So I reached out to him and sent him the record. And I said, hey, you know, I got this kind of modern funk vibe record. I want to do something with it. I think it's really good. Do you think you could do something with it? And he said... I want to put this out. So, we put out the record on his label, and his label has a pretty good following. He he is like all the modern funk dudes go to him for mastering. He's mastered albums for the AP uh, the APX, the APX actually, he releases their vinyl on Sleepers on his label. And he does their mastering. He does mastering for XL Middleton. He does mastering for a guy called MoFak. He does mastering for uh, a, a modern funk artist out of Brooklyn named Tamu. So all the modern funk dudes kind of go to him for mastering. And he runs this label. So I put out two singles uh, on his label. And through him, I started building connections and, and with all the DJs. Like, there's a whole crew of, of DJs who specialize in playing modern funk music uh all throughout europe amsterdam france uh and i just started building these, these connections and, and reaching out and when i was getting steppers ready i i sent out advanced copies to all these djs and they started adding them to their mix shows and started adding them to their playlists. and i just kept these uh kept these relationships with these guys and that's wow, what it's wow. all about. It's about building building relationships.
0: Yeah, building and maintaining too. Mm-hmm. Now, now, um, all your projects are not on streaming. Correct? Most of them are. Most of them are, but you've been vocal about the band camp versus streaming kind of discussion. Am I correct?
1: Yes, I'm a band camp champion.
0: Okay. <laughs> um do you feel as though streaming is taking advantage of the fact that there are so many of us now who have access? Are they taking advantage of that and kind of monopolizing? I mean, we really only, it's, it, as in, instead of only having, you know, five or six or seven labels, now there's only three or four streaming services that the majority of people use to get access to your music.
1: I think streaming is... People are looking at streaming the wrong way. People are looking at streaming to as a money-making endeavor, and it's not. And if you look at it that way, you're going to be highly disappointed because it's not made for you, the artists, to make money. It's made for the record companies to make money. It's made for the streaming corporations themselves to make money. They're not concerned with you making money. It's the same way you have to look at streaming the same way you looked at radio. Radio is not designed for artists to make money. Radio is designed for the record companies to make money and for the radio stations to make money. And the corporate entities who own the record companies and the radio stations to make money. It's not designed for the artists to make money. So you have to look at it as what it truly is and it's advertisement. I approach streaming as advertisement. I approach streaming as look. You can listen to my song here, and you these people can add it to playlists where other people can discover it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I want you to come to latepastmusic.bandcamp.com and get the music there.
0: Right. 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 I look at it as a like an archiving. Right. You know. I'll put it on Bandcamp. We have a project right now on Bandcamp that will probably just be on Bandcamp. Maybe another... Well, the way things is going, it's going to be on there for another couple of weeks or whatever. And then, you know, put it on streaming, put another couple of joints on it, and give that to the people who bought the first one. And, you know, go from there. Right. Um. It's, 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 it's very difficult to... You almost have to use streaming to, yeah, like you said, to be your advertisement. Right. But something different. Um, because a
1: lot of people, your average, quote unquote, average consumer probably doesn't even know what Bandcamp is. Right. To be honest. Bandcamp is, is for music nerds. Right. And other So artists- you have to educate them about, yeah. look, this is what this is. If you really want to support me, This is the best way to do it. And you have to also incentivize them. That's why a lot of people do merch on Bandcamp. They do vinyl editions of their record. They do cassette editions. They do all these special editions of their record on Bandcamp to incentivize people to come here and, and partake in my music this way instead of depending on streaming, not to say that streaming isn't cool. We understand you want to, when you get in your car, you want to hook up your phone on the Bluetooth and play Spotify. We get that, and I want my music to be there for you to listen to. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of look, I want to support this artist. You
0: have to explain to them this is how you do it. If Bandcamp had a better, I'm gonna be honest. If Bandcamp had a better interface excuse me, a better mobile interface and stuff. I think that they would, I know they would be better off. I don't know if they would be able to compete with the big boys, but it would definitely be a game changer for independent artists.
1: I think the thing I'm most afraid of is like a lot of people talking about, we need playlisting on Bandcamp. Depends on how you do it. If it's where I could take like all the music I bought and go through it and make a playlist of all the music I bought, That's just for me to listen to. I accept that. I'm down with that. But I don't want a playlisting system where it's public playlisting and then you start having what happens on Spotify with influencer culture and Mm -hmm. everybody's trying to get on the quote-unquote popular playlist. I don't want Bandcamp turning into Spotify Jr. Yeah. what I'm
0: getting at. I I hear you. They definitely have to do it in an innovative way. Right. Now, before we talk about Kashif, You've been categorized as being mad. <laughs> you know, you were on Chicago Fire, and we put out a long time ago. You said basically that if if it's if it's somebody that's going in on Twitter about some records that you that some some records that don't make any sense or they're not quality, it's gonna be you. In so many words, you said it differently than I said it. <laughs> And what I thought about when I when when we decided to do this interview, I thought about it like, you know, I think about all these ideas around somebody. And I know, you know, how talented you are as a musician and an artist and a songwriter and stuff like that. And I know we tease you about being mad, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that you're mad. I think that you're frustrated. And I don't even know if it's a frustration that tinkles into, you know, that that kind of wavers into your real life. But I think that the truth is you see that there is a lot of capacity for people to make fantastic music out in the world. There's there's access to resources, access to all of this stuff to make fantastic music. And the focus is on people who forsake the opportunity to make great music because everything is about attention. It's about finding what, you know, what what will give you the most attention? Like, I, I just look at the challenges, for example. I mean, I don't even think that we've scratched the surface as far as what TikTok And other what I call meme based opportunities are doing to change the face of how music is heard. Mm. Am I correct in that?
1: Uh, yeah, I think we've barely scratched the surface on, but the thing is, like, I I think that, like, a lot of what I, uh, my perceived madness, (laughs) or whatever, you go, a lot of, 90% of it is jokes, because when you boil it all down, I really don't care. (laughs) Yeah. But, I do have a sense of frustration in the fact that I think that the art of becoming good at craft Mm. has been lost and due to the advances of technology, due to the loss of education, music education in schools, particularly due to the instant gratification, instant viral star qualities of of today's entertainment industry, I think that a lot of the grind has been lost and everybody's trying to shortcut the grind, but the grind is what makes you Good is what makes you quality. It makes you makes you take pride in your work. It makes you believe in yourself. It makes you want to be better. And I think Mm. a lot of that is that's what frustrates me about today's music. Because technology-wise, we're man. If we had the technology we had when I was starting out, you know. I would have mm-hmm. loved it but I don't know if it would if I would be the quality of musician that I I am
0: cuz you spent how, the time
1: cuz I spent the time grinding and figuring out how to to do that and you know I'm a particular breed of person. I mm-hmm. read liner notes. I I study chord progressions and everybody's not gonna do that.
0: I I understand. Um, music is a product of marketing and algorithms at this point, and it can be tough. Um, I just look at how you've developed again, how you've developed as a musician, while incrementally changing your workflow. Like you've tried to master your workflow at every juncture and you add small things you know we tease you about still using the micro for everything but you mastered that and truthfully what what i've always said is is as soon as they figure out a way to allow for me personally if i can change the tempo of a sample without changing the pitch then it's infinite possibilities and I think we're so quick to jump from gear to, gear to gear to gear to gear to gear that we don't necessarily take the time like you have taken the time. And you grew as an engineer by learning on your own, by mastering things, by trial and error to the point where you're a completely self-sufficient artistic entity that just requires the ability to, to, for somebody to assist you in getting your music heard. That's what I see.
1: I mean there are pros and cons to that though because yeah. isn't it would be nice to have more people to bounce ideas off of. It would be nice to have someone in the studio with me to help shape and mold things. It would be nice to like People say I, I've grown, but I I'm a per- I'm a slight perfectionist when it comes to it. So every time I listen to my own stuff, I I, I constantly hear, "Well, that could've, be that could've been better."
0: That, but that's natural.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. natural.
0: I mean, if you ask Aaron Rodgers, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, he's probably gonna tell you the the three complete the three incompletions he threw versus the twenty four completions he threw. Right. right. So yeah. that's natural. But I can't help but wonder. That you know you are in Japan You know you are Not to you know I don't want to give away all your Business but you are in Japan you don't have A lot of people who are around You physically making music that you're Collaborating with and what You're saying is that has Assisted you in Becoming more self-sufficient because you Had no choice
1: right That's true yeah That's very much true
0: that's interesting So you went to Japan And you went into tell me about tell me about your relationship with this record because i see you in japan you know <laughs> taking records like the one that you chose to talk about today and like literally splitting it apart like the the like the what's it called you know how like a diagram of an engine mm and trying to reconstruct that engine, you chose Kashif. Released on September fourteenth, nineteen eighty three. I ain't gonna ask you how old you was. I was six. <laughs> well, I honestly,
1: you to... I, I you say the release date, but I didn't really come into knowing this record until mm-hmm. much later on. Absolutely. understood so, i started i I chose this record because it it relates to the record i'm putting out now like when you asked me to pick a record i had various thoughts of what i wanted to pick and like the first thought i had was uh chucky booker's debut album because that i listened to that consistently like when i was like 17. right but I wanted to pick something that was more related to the sound that's on this record. And the first thing I thought of was Kashif because when I, we were talking about Boogie and yes, is it's, it's post disco Boogie is basically a result of the backlash of disco music. And you could simplify it and say it's slowed down disco, but it it it's that style of music that it doesn't have the four on the floor, and right. it's slowed down. Consider it slowed down like disco would you say it was like one twenty and up, you know? Boogie would be more in like the high nineties, ninety 97,
0: absolutely. 96,
1: six, one hundred, absolutely, and it introduced a lot of synthesizer elements. And the main, when I think of Kashif and I think of this album, I think about synth basses because Kashif yeah. was one of the early pioneers of using synth bass lines in R&B records. Absolutely. And, and he had, he created this sound that like the first four songs on this album is pretty much the sound I was going for on Cognac and Ballroom.
0: It's don't very stop, don't
1: stop the love is is my song, My Bad Habit on this album.
0: It's very clear. The influence is very clear. The from the synthesized bass, um, which at this time um I don't know the complete history of MIDI, but he was one of the large you know on a on a broad scale as far as black music he was one of he was he was relatively an early adopter right of midi um as well as stevie wonder right um you know we stevie wonder and the, the work that he did with synthesizers in the mid to late 70s was groundbreaking but kashif really took that because she was mostly a keys guy he played he played piano i want to say with i mean he played keys with bt express correct before kind of splitting off onto his own he, he um, was a teenager
1: then was thinking, i think i think he's like 16 right in bt express
0: right Um, and i'm trying to recall whether or not his work with his work with Evelyn Champagne King, that predated his solo work.
1: I can't remember. I think it was. I believe like, so. All, all, yeah, it probably did. But all that stuff kind of is around the same time to me because that sound, that was his sound. You knew you heard a record he produced. You knew he, he was one of the first dudes that had, well, that's his sound.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah, it was the post-disco. It was the Boogie era. One of the things that I noticed, because I went back and I listened to it. And so this funny thing happens that when somebody picks a record. For me to listen to. It always sounds different. And that's why I say that during the intro to show, like we could sit up and talk about a record and I don't have to play it during this show. But when you listen to it again, you're going to hear what we're talking about. And one of the things that's a, that that stuck out to me was how busy the bass was. Yes. Bass was busy. Boom, doom, you know, and it was just keys, mm-hmm. you know, chords via the, you know, guitars or just basic chords or whatever, but all of the movement was in the bass and in the drums, in the cymbals and in the in the in the in the drums. Um, And then the other thing that stuck out to me. Well, before I leave that bass. Do you find that in creating this type of music? A lot of times, are you starting with the bass jumping around like that? Or are you starting with with keys?
1: I start with for the most part, I start with chords.
0: Chords, I mean, yeah.
1: Yes, I start with keys. I start with chords for pretty much 90 95%. to 95%. I start, I think, for every song on this album, started from okay, chords. Except my bad habit, I think my bad habit actually started with the bassline, but everything else I think started with chords,
0: especially coming in like a I guess, I guess it would be like a quarter note early, be like, tum, 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 tum. Mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, that's almost every record, and then I think about. When I listen to it, I think about the Patrice Russian Russian. I think about Sky. I think mm-hmm. about, you know, and they all kind of had that similar that similar feeling with chords and a real busy bass line. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that stuck out to me <laughs> is the arrangement of these songs. If you notice and you listen to it, these are all R&B songs that's four and a half minutes long or longer, mm-hmm. because they go through so many different segments. I did when we listened to before we started. We listened to Stone Love. I think it was Stone Love we was listening to.
1: Uh, you listen. Uh, don't stop the love. You li- don't I, stop, when I, when stop I, the love. Yeah, don't stop
0: the love. Had an intro, then a chorus, then a verse, then a chorus, mm-hmm. then a bridge then a chorus, then like a post-chorus sound, then like a solo, then -hmm. it had another chorus, and then it had a vamp. Mm -hmm. So when you're arranging your records, are you going through... You know, a lot of times when we work on hip-hop records, a lot of times we do an A, uh, I mean, two sequences. right? Two sequences, and you can filter the, the sample in sequence A, and do some 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 different things with the beat or some mutes or whatever and keep it moving but these songs we're not even talking about songwriting or even writing obviously you're not writing keys or writing arrangements in terms of actual individual instruments everything is is electronic pretty much and just by feel i assume but how are you working through all of these different parts? You said that you just started adding bridges about a, uh, on sleepers. Am I correct?
1: On Stepper. Oh yeah, on steppers. Yeah, I, I No,
0: nope. I'm sorry, steppers.
1: Well, there's a bridge. All that to get to this. Yes. On the song, on the song let's find out. There's a bridge. Yes.
0: A solo in it. There is. There absolutely is. So, I remember that.
1: So yeah, I I, I I've always. Wrote with bridges, but you know, like you said, in hip hop, uh, that doesn't really factor. But with me doing this RB stuff, and yeah, and with like the electronic, the house music, you really didn't factor. But with this stuff, when I like my approach to writing is somewhat formulaic, but it's not like I, I know that I'm going to have an intro. I know I'm going to have a verse section. I know I'm going to have a pre-chorus. Now, it now it it depends on the song and the feel of how mm. I'm writing it. Whether that pre-chorus pre-chorus would be a continuation of like the verse or if I'm going to make a change in the pre-chorus. And then The bridge is another thing that's based on the feel. Like Every song doesn't have a bridge. Every song doesn't need a bridge. But some songs, if I feel like a bridge would be a good segue or a good switch up, I'll add a bridge. Sometimes a bridge may be a bridge with vocals. Like uh, on this album, Love You All The Way Round has a vocal bridge in it. But then I have another song where bridge might just be a keyboard solo. Like Mr. Movie has a bridge. That's a keyboard solo. So it, it's all feel. Mm. It's all feel.
0: Another thing I noticed in the in the drum programming is that there's always a super loud clap on the on the on the on the two. And then a lower clap on the four and i listened <laughs> and i thought about i mean go back and listen to it i'm telling uh, yeah. you yeah i didn't notice that okay like doom, <laughs> sh-
1: sh- 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 ah, whatever. you know what yeah you know what you got of right yeah
0: mm-hmm. what did you notice about when when you listen to to records like that what did you notice about the mix that you chose to build into your that you chose to build into your workflow in terms of Not only getting in. I mean, so we got the songwriting, we got the arrangement, we got the right instruments and sounds involved. But then the mix also has to be the same. The emphasis on certain things has to be um, similar to that style as well. What did you notice about the mix of those records?
1: Well, you said sound because the first thing I was going to say is sound selection. Oh, yeah. Which is which is very important to you want to capture a certain time frame to use sounds from that time frame but as far as like the mix is that like the way they mix records then and the way they mix records today is two totally different schools in that like when i mastered this record and me of you have had this discussion offline before about how loud your master should be I made, when I did Steppers and this record, I did not master this to the level of what a, what most records are at today. I was, I wanted a more dynamic master and I wanted a quieter master because it fell in line of the albums of that day. Now, it didn't go as quiet as what an album back then would have been mastered. Mm -hmm. And I didn't Go as loud as what I would today. I met in the middle, mm-hmm. so I went kind of halfway between how loud the album is today and how loud the album was then. But like I said, I just wanted a, a little bit more dynamics, a little bit less brick wall, yeah, in 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 my mix because yeah, I wanted to be true to kind of how records were back then. I I'd say that. The difference between how I mix records now and trying to add that sound, like somebody back then would say, my kick got too much bass in it. But I came up on hip hop, so I gotta have yeah. a heavy. I oh, gotta have kick, a heavy kick.
0: The kick still thump on the on the new joint. The kick is thumping for real, and I'm still kicking myself in the ass about the you know how I managed your low end or all that to get to this. Um, but yeah, that kick still thumping the right way, don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I wanted that. I wanted to bring, okay, I'm trying to up, I wanted to take that sound but update it to today. So, yeah, you gotta have a heavier kick, you gotta have a kind of a well, yeah, the bass is a little heavier, but the bass was kind of heavy back then. Like you heard the bass on that Kashif record, it was clear, it cut through. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I want my bass kind of cuts through on this. The only thing different on this album I did mix-wise say, like compared to Steppers is I try to add more polish. And personally, <laughs> it's one of the things I, I'm kind of still mull over in my mind. When I nitpick this album, I'm nitpicking the amount of polish and air I added to this album because it's airy. Mm. And it's much more like this, especially in the vocals, they're a lot more airy than the vocals are were on steppers because I was trying to add B. I wanted a uh uh like 90s music, C Records had that polish. Yes, and I was trying to add some of that sheen and polish to this record, and I think I might have overdid it, but
0: <laughs> you know what <laughs> I noticed. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't I haven't, in, in all, you know, I haven't listened to Cognac and Ballroom in here, but mm. when I listened to Kashif, I did, I heard a lot of reverb on at least the drum bus, a lot of plate, mm. Um, I mean, and it's subtle, and you, you know, probably don't, the, the untrained ear won't hear, I don't know if it's plate or not, but the, the reverb is definitely strong there, and it just reminded me of how dry I mix drums. I don't mix with a lot of reverb on drums.
1: Well, they were trying that because he was using that Lindrum. And mm-hmm. Lindrum samples by itself and D- uh uh Oberon DMX samples by themselves are dry shit. Mm-hmm. So if you want to add life to them, you got to add some reverb. That's yeah. why... The, uh, every time you hear old funk records with the clap, the clap got reverb, The claps always got reverb on it. Cause you're trying to add that life
0: to that. Clap, right. Absolutely. So here's the seminal question. Fill in the blank. Without Kashif, there would be no what? Boogie. You know what I was going to say?
1: What?
0: Without Kashif, there would be no Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Mm. Mm. Without Kashif, there would be no Control album by Janet Jackson. Mm. Now,
1: now, what makes you say that?
0: Because I feel like so much of where they were was in those leads and those courts the bass wasn't necessarily as active as it was in the Boogie Records mm. and a lot of the movement was in the mid range in my opinion I think about a record like you know like a record like Pleasure Principle there was a lot of movement in the bass mm. but that that's for me, that's a direct connector to what we heard from Boogie and funk itself. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say you had to have a Kashif in order to have a Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis that kind of streamline that sound with drum machines. Mm. You know, cause I feel like a lot of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis is Kashifish. With more complex drum programming, mm. and but that's just me, you know what I'm saying. And then for me, without Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, there is no, you know, I don't think that Babyface may have sounded the same.
1: Oh, definitely, that, that's um, definitely true.
0: And obviously, okay. Teddy Riley. So, so yeah, it's it's all linear for me because it's all about influence mm-hmm. for me. But yeah, that's oh. Kashif.
1: I want to ask you, uh, just on the hip hop head thing, did you know the samples on the Kashif
0: record? No, ah, not off top of my head. Give me one.
1: There's a song on side B called "The Mood," and it's sampled by EPMD on EPMD's first album, uh, the Caleb Boss record. That's on EPMD's first album.
0: Nah, I missed it. I need to listen. <laughs> to
1: it da 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 da
0: da da Yeah, part. I need to listen to that again
1: That's on the Kashif record
0: I definitely need to listen to that Did Kashif do Did Kashif do Phyllis Hyman?
1: No, I don't think he did the Phyllis Hyman Okay. Record. He did sure. He did Champagne King He did Melba Moore He did George Benson he did uh melissa
0: morgan i think living all alone is my favorite record of the 1980s that
1: album time. or just that song just that song okay
0: just the the chord the chord work during the vamp just mm. does something and the bling 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 man mm. come on dog um, but, yeah, nevertheless, to will not want to take no flowers away from Kashif. Kashif did pass away in 2016.
1: He wrote yeah. a very important book.
0: Yes, he did. In his, did. La-
1: in his that- later life, he became a, a college professor, and he also wrote a book called Everything You Need to Know About, know about the Music the Business.
0: business. And, and that may end up being his biggest contribution right. to music, although we just talked about him and his... Influence on other people because I remember that book in the late 90s, mm-hmm. you know, in the early 2000s. Never read the entire thing, never went, you know what I'm saying? But he tried to give people the game because, probably because of the fact that he had won and he had lost mm-hmm. and didn't want people to go through the same thing. So, again, flowers go to Kashif, you know what I'm saying? I remember seeing Kashif's name in the Jets top 20 singles. or whatever back when i used to get my hair cut shout out to clint clint's barber shop on the south side of flint and i never really i never really got into kashif until today
1: uh thanks to you say thanks uh (laughs) one more kashif nugget you give good love winnie houston's first single yes he (laughs)
0: did do that record and that was my joint on that record I didn't realize that she had two joints on there with Jermaine Jackson.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. A slow joint and a fast joint. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely right about You Give Good Love, dude. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That was my joint on that first record. Yeah. And that was everybody's introduction really to Whitney, though, wasn't it? It was. It was. This was. was the first oh, single. Oh, man. That was a Very great cool. record. But, say, again, we want to give our shout out to Kashif. Thank you for all that you did for um, music. Uh, We want to make sure that we shout out. First of all, we got to make sure we shout out Jay Bishop. Thank you, Jay, for joining us today and kicking it with me. Cognac and Ballroom.
1: Okay, hold up. Before we leave, I had this discussion with somebody else. Okay. What is the proper pronunciation of that word? Because I say... I say cognac. You're I say cognac. cognac. I, I heard cognac. somebody say somebody say cognac.
0: I say so. cone, cognac, cognac.
1: <laughs>
0: cognac. It's we're probably all wrong.
1: Yeah, it's probably some French person mad as shit right now.
0: Cognac and <laughs> Ballroom will be released on March 5th on Bandcamp at latepass.bandcamp.com. Latepass music latepathmusic.bandcamp.com you can pre-order it now make sure that you check it out check out all his other releases and notice the progression like I said um, the only thing J. Bishop hasn't done at this point is to make a jazz album
1: I've thought about it
0: you know that's the only I thing that's
1: left definitely thought about it
0: Um, or a rock album thought oh, about yeah, it. Thought about
1: it. I've thought about that
0: too Okay. Or and you haven't made like a bona fide pop album either, but we don't want that. Not yet. Okay. Yeah,
1: I I look, if I <laughs> if I find me a Billy Eilish, it's over for you <laughs> niggas.
0: <laughs> right, right. So yeah, Cognac and Ballroom, March 5th. Um, also check out Steppers. Great project from last year. Just straight funk. If you like funk, check out Jay Bishop, check out Late Pass music. We want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Leon Speakers, LeonSpeakers.com, Grove Studios. We want to thank everybody at Grove Studios for providing the punch for us to make this work. Mind State Marketing, Amplify Fellowship, Dirty Old Man, The Biscuit Factory. Where's the, uh, where's the the, the mascot oh. for the Biscuit Factory? I just saw saw him in the background. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the podcast. And we'll see you soon. You got any shout-outs out, J. Bishop, you want to give?
1: Uh, I just want to thank everybody for, uh, you know, listening to me ramble and uh, uh, supporting my music. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I do and, and, and trying to make things happen. And shout-out to the Dirty old Men, of course, because... That's the collective. That's the crew. They keep they keep me going, and uh, I appreciate y'all.
0: No doubt. And follow him at J Bishop Funk on Instagram.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, all Instagram, Twitter. I'm on. I'm messing around with Twitch a little bit. Okay. Uh, YouTube. Everything's J Bishop Funk.
0: Absolutely. And you'll catch some some beat videos, some bass guitar playing, probably a rant here and there. <laughs> J Bishop has a classic rant. A classic rant about Rhythm Roulette. (laughs) (laughs) That probably got like 15,000 views by now. (laughs) But yeah, everybody, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Peace.